Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it. 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all. We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? What I hope we find out is who leaked it. And I hope it's some young woman who yep. is like, people need to know. Right. Attention must be paid. I bet it was. I bet it was. I bet it was someone that was felt so powerless and was like, oh, no, 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 no. I can do what I can do to fuck this yeah. up. And also leak everything. Yes. Let's leak yes. it all. If yes. you have access to any documents, info, like... It. Just leak it, baby. Let's let it all be an open, flowing river. That's what I was, when I was walking over here, I was thinking, like, the good thing about the truth, like, I I, I was, you know, people say, oh, I'm an open book. Like, I don't believe anyone's an open book, because just because I feel like we're humans. But I'm at a stage in my life where, like, yeah, where I'm, like, I don't know that I have that much left to hide, because I just feel like uh, I'm pretty... I, I, it's just not worth it to me. And like the bad, so I was thinking about when I worked in Hollywood and like the things that I participated in, not quite as bad as my script, my pilot hold my calls at all, but, but things I could have prevented, um, uh, things that were not fair that I could have spoken up about. And I felt like I didn't have a voice, but I could have spoken up about it. And I was thinking like, what would I do if one of these people called me to task and said, Hey, in 2005, when this happened and you didn't do anything about it, or you just stayed quiet, like that really, that was really fucked up. And that, and that really, um, and you were wrong for that. I'd be like, you're absolutely right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because what ends up coming into this is people don't understand projection and like you only worry about other secrets coming out when it's you only worry about other people's secrets coming out when it's you who has the secrets so yeah I mean please I'm all for accountability as I've said on here like when I say something on here that somebody who knows me is listening to saying well that's not what you said before please let's talk about it because yeah you're you're right and I've changed and there's things that I yeah so I was gonna say this is a so theater school related okay when I you had graduated and I was in the new class and Jane Alderman was our teacher and I really wanted her to like me oh god this is so embarrassing okay so I was friends with um Erica and and Kelly and they this is the truth and you know and um we all we're going to go in all three of us. were going to go in for a gift for her. Right. But remember I worked at that fucking place called, do you know this story? Did I tell you, you know, you could tell what's going to happen. Okay. So I worked at that place called Jim cracks, which you called ass cracks, which you called me one time and said, hi, is this ass cracks? And my boss, it was the most, the funniest shit I ever heard. Anyway. So that's neither here. Nor there. That's not about this, but at ass cracks, um, we had these bracelets and Jane Alderman always wore these tons of silver dangly bracelet and I thought I'm gonna win her over by getting her one of these bracelets and then giving it just from me and excluding Erica and Kelly so that I I would be the star she first of all she didn't like me it didn't matter like what the fuck it wasn't gonna make a fucking difference but anyway that's what I thought right 
And so I got this bracelet and I like, and I gave it to her. And then during class, she was like, Jen Bosworth gave me this amazing bracelet as a graduation. Thank you. And Kelly and Erica looked at me like, you, you bitch. And I, it was the truth. That's exactly what happened. And I was like, I don't know what to tell you. Like I was so desperate to try to get her to like me that that's what I did. It was so dumb, but it was the truth. But wait, she did like you. I thought. I thought that yeah, she I mean, gave me some auditions. Does that? I yes, that counts. That's that's in fact how you know if she liked you. Okay, I got a, I got a couple of like three auditions. That's great. And also, you were basically just jumping ahead to the part of Hollywood that is like this. That it's just like every man for themselves and that was my version yeah that's what i thought i had to start doing to Mm -hmm. make it in hollywood and Mm -hmm. um anyway they were so mad rightfully so like i went back on my word it was so sneaky and stupid and can i be honest like i think i stole the bracelet like i i I think that's (laughs) (laughs) like i think i'm pretty sure like that's what went why not why not when we just when we just consider the gumbo that is all of our bad decision making at that age it's like oh yeah so a little a little ham slips in there (laughs) a little pig ear i don't know like it all just goes in and makes for a flavorful stew (laughs) hey let me run this by you and I was just so rigid and I was so afraid and I was so, and and actually that brings me to the thing that I wanted to run by you which is just I'm like really trying to contend with my um insecurities I'm just really trying to like face them head on and be like this is not I'm trying to say to myself this is not serving you this way that you feel badly about yourself isn't helping you to feel better mm-hmm. F- mistakes that you've made or flaws that you have spending all day punishing yourself d- doesn't it doesn't do anything but make you waste a bunch of time mm-hmm. focused on the wrong thing mm-hmm. and i'm finding it really challenging i've been like reading articles like how do you get over your insecurities and and it's it's all some combination of like there was one good idea. Make a, what's it called? A something file, like a fabulous, it has a dumb name, like fabulous file. Sure. But the idea is find f- from all the different aspects of your life, a compilation of nice things that people have said about you, nice gestures, like things, anything evidence of what has made you feel good and, and refer to it. That, that seemed like a pretty good idea. I have one. I have one just re- that comes to the top of my head about you re- is that you made, you made the cut of the monologues, the, the, the monologues for Ukraine. Okay. Well, this is a great example of how I shit on things like that. I didn't even, I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't apply, but I bet your ass I wouldn't have gotten it. And I know people that didn't get it. Oh, really? Yes. Well, they chose a hundred monologues. Okay, so. but do you know how many they got? No. 600. Okay. Well, I mean, that's, okay, right, that's anyway, fine. Why, I mean, why, why did, how did you shit on that? Like that, she's like a because, big casting person. Because they sent us the links where you could look, 
watch all the monologues. And and the first thing I saw was there was a hundred monologues. And I'm like, okay, this was nothing. They just gave it to everybody who who put their thing in. Okay, well, so, all right. I mean, that's pretty good, I guess. My friend didn't make it either. You get the idea. You know, like I can take a good, so anyway, so I'm open to suggestions Mm. about, you know, contending with one insecure one's insecurities because of course i'm not alone and there are a lot of people out there who wake up every day feeling bad about themselves and then how it's always worked out for me is if i do a number of things in the day that i can feel good about then i can kind of turn it around but i still have ultimately spent the majority of my time feeling bad you know so that's my mission i don't like that i don't like that at all i mean look i i can it's interesting to hear you say it out loud because I also feel like um, I I am there in in certain ways. Like, but what has really happened is I think once I found it's interesting. Like Freud said, work in love, right? So in my view, from an outsider, like your love part is great. I mean, I know you have problems. I'm not saying that your family dynamic is perfect, but that area of your life does not seem to be in massive insecure turmoil, right? So like partner, family, safe, all those things. Okay. So then it's work, right? And so then you're finding you're seeming to do what I'm seeming to do, which is trying to find a way in which all my skills come together to be of service and I can get paid. What I think I was thinking about you yesterday and you know, you'll, you'll be on this big project with you and your kid. And I think that that's going to be extremely healing for you, Hmm. the kid Hmm. and your career somehow. Do you know what he said to me? He said the nicest thing the day he got this job, he said, Mom, I really hope that not only is this job going to do something for me, I hope it's going to do something for you. See, and I really Isn't think it is. sweet? Yes. And I really, it's so sweet. And it's also like, I think it's going to be healing for you two as a team, a duo. I think it's going to be healing for you and your career in terms of seeing that um, you can mix it up with people that are being paid in this industry to do the thing they want to do this young filmmaker, your kid, all the things, whoever's on set, right. That you deserve to be in that mix and that your creative life is important. And I just think it's going to be really healing. And I also think on a lot of levels, I I could see that. And I also know from my experiences just in the last couple of years that this, this falls in the category of things that you don't dare to dream about because you feel like they're so far away from you. And then you do things like DM a famous actor and ask them to be on your podcast. And they're like, sure. You just realize that um, things it's everybody. It's just people like Hollywood is just a collection of people or whatever, anything, any club that you want to get into, no matter how exclusive it feels, it is. It's just at the end of the day, a collection of people Correct. have all of the same hangups and limitations and whatever that you do. So, uh, and this is another place to approach where I want to avoid, you know, I think the not trying out of school to be an actor after, you know, beyond like a year was a way of avoiding what I imagined to be the only possible outcome, which was like tons of heartbreak and rejection, mm-hmm. which it would have been in part, cause that's what it is for everybody. 
but in doing that, I disallowed for the possibility that something good would have yeah. come out of it. Yeah, I agree. And I, I, I was in therapy yesterday and with, and my therapist was like, you did not see, and I feel like this might apply to you too. I was, there was zero, this is so sad, but there was zero hope in my childhood. Zero hope. Whenever I would get a hope, it would be dashed by either heartbreak, which is fine. It's part of life. But more often it was dashed by my parents, my families telling me I wasn't allowed to hope because that wasn't, hope wasn't for me. And that, and that goodness and fun wasn't for me. And that joy wasn't for me. And that, and that of course comes from their own shit, but it doesn't matter. As a kid, I was like, oh yeah, I had zero hope. Like my big hope was that, like, I don't know. My big hope was that things maybe you, wouldn't get any worse. Yeah. Well, no, you, you hoped for the only thing that they would give you, which is a Charleston shoe. Right. Right. Like, right. That's right. what we do. We, right. Okay. Well, what's available to me? Right. What can I have? What, right. what am I, what food. do I have a right food. to? I and, can have food. I right. can have whatever I can. I was just remembering this thing. So another thing that I'm kind of going through right now is I'm feeling more and more ready to like go back, even just in my own mind to these sort of painful epochs uh-huh. that theater school, but also before. Uh-huh. And for the first time ever, I'm like real curious about high school and like, what was that all about? This person I went to high school with had posted something on Facebook about, um, oh, I think it was about Naomi Judd. And oh, yeah. She said something like about how much she liked listening to their music. And I said, oh, yeah, I did too. Did we listen to that together? You know, like, I don't remember. I just don't remember. I don't, I don't remember in my view, everything I did in high school was just by myself, but of course it wasn't. It was, it was with all of the people that I spent all of my time with. And, and she's, and she wrote back and, you know, so we exchanged this thing about like, you know, memories. And I thought, okay, this is the first time somebody's coming to me with a memory of you. I'm not afraid of. Right. Right. Yeah. So I'm, so I'm, so as you say, and other people I know say, just it's good to stay curious. It's good to yeah. stay curious about what, like, what's stopping you. Yeah, your... and like, what, what, what happened? Like, just curious about, like, oh, like you know, especially after post MDMA journey, it's like that was the number one thing that I felt during during that journey and taking that medicine was it allowed me to stay curious about my own experiences without the fear part being so prevalent, like the fear, the dread, the what's coming next, like a horror film, right? Like it wasn't like a horror film. I thought, oh, for sure, this is a horror, going to be a horror film. It was like a more of a science fiction project, a science project where, you know, science is pretty objective, right? It doesn't give a shit about, you know, it's going to do what it's going to do. And that's how I felt on this medicine. And like, that's, and since then, I, I still am afraid. I still feel all the things, but not, I gotta say, like, not as intensely, like I'm a little more, there's a little more room. That's all I say. It's like, there's a little more room for curiosity and possibility that maybe it's safer than I thought to hope and, and feel things. I don't know, but I'm, I'm thinking maybe it is since I also see other people doing it and their heads aren't like exploding. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's very helpful when you see somebody that, you know, or you, you know, of like 
accomplishing something that you would have put into the category as of out as outside of your what was possible for you then you go oh, oh hey right if that you know maybe if that person what? can get this yeah yeah which is so interesting that that's your job now is helping people to do that for themselves i mean that's also true that some of these things insecure like you don't you don't reach nirvana with it, but you just keep work, working at it. And in some cases, and like I think it's probably true in your case, helping another person get real with themselves about who they are and what they want is also ultimately helpful to you too. Yeah, it is. And it, and it, um, yeah, of course, thus the, the whole world of therapy and therapists and coaches and all the things that go along with mm-hmm. that. But yeah, totally. Also, the other thing I'm noticing, you have like zero lines on your forehead. It looks great. You know, it's You it's have great curious. skin. I, like, I, look, I, I got like a situation and, and, and I, I'm like, oh, I should just do Botox. But I think, I think I'm the one person, I don't have anything against that stuff. Like I don't look, yeah. I don't give a fuck what you do, but I know for me and my life, the shit will go wrong and I will have a heart attack. Oh yeah. I would be afraid of doing it for that reason too. They'll be like, you you're know, the one person whose heart stopped doing Botox. The reason that I, I mean, one of the main reasons that I had uh, medication free, um, labors yeah is because of this one friend i knew who got an epidural and they did it wrong and it only worked in it only blocked one half of her body and then she had to have an emergency c-section and she could feel everything sure sure that's torture so all i have to hear is one story of a person who did uh, one of these met medical procedures and the thing that i always think about which is kind of funny too god forbid i know it's like one in a million but god forbid you go under the knife for any type of elective thing and you die and then your kids have to walk around saying well yeah my mom went to get you know because my sister got um breast implants oh breast implants sure when that was in one of the things that was in her um autopsy it just showed that she had breast implants and i thought i don't know man (laughs) we we can do a lot of damage to ourselves just inside the confines of our own brain. It's so, so and, true. So true. And, and part of the gift of my sister dying has been like, okay, so I don't want to live like that. And she had a lot of the same stuff that I have. And, and DNA, be, you share the, and, you share the same blood. Yeah. And her insecurities, I would say were the most prominent thing about her. Right a beautiful so woman so who never felt yeah oh right? speaking it's... of she remind you know who she reminds me of is marilyn monroe so i watched the marilyn monroe documentary there's a new oh. uh, the marilyn monroe tapes it's really of course comes down to fucking men and i posted on twitter about it like it just comes down to the idiot kennedys and their idiot dicks that they can't keep their shit together and then they're gonna cause a, a world war three like it's just it's all that part is infuriating and also but what I did notice was, oh, the which you have said millions of times in different ways, as of I maybe, is that at the same time, two things were happening. Her body was worshipped with the exact amount of vehemence that they wanted to kill her. Oh, so right. you had these two things, the worship and the, the, the hatred and the wanting to destroy mm-hmm. her. 
that were both happening. And you can't live like that. You cannot do it. And of course she died. And the, and the, and the, the documentaries, you know, the guy who, who made it and, and basically said, look, she, she, she wasn't murdered, but she was murdered. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. She died from men. Right. That's what, that's what I say. You know, the, the day Lisa died. Yeah. I remember um, like within a year, within an hour of her dying, I said, oh, she, I don't know what, what she died of, but she died by men. I just know it was yes. that starting with my dad and it was just a series of men all the way. I like, mean, and I think if you write a book or a play or something, you should use that death by man or death by mm-hmm, men. Mm-hmm, it's like, mm-hmm. it is. It, so it, it just reminds me of your sister in that the thing. Yeah. You can't have both. Like you can't be expected to do both. And it goes, you know, people talk about the Madonna and the whore. It's even more, it's not even because those are like roles. I feel like at its core, it is the, an actual tangible thing of, of worshiping someone's body literally with, by, by, by showering it with fame and with, um, with even individual men, like bowing at her feet, like weird, like just that mixed with wanting to kill her at all times. Yeah, well, this is what happens when you objectify a person is they stop being a person and they start being a thing. The thing I always remember about, or I don't know if it's true or not, but the story that people have told that she was walking with a friend down a street in New York and nobody was paying them any mind. And then she says to her friend, do you want me to do it or something like that? And the friend says, what? And she says, become her. And the friend's like, okay. And the friend reports like everyone stops nothing nothing like she just didn't break stride she just kept walking it was just something she made these subtle adjustments and all of a sudden everybody looked at her looked at her yeah it's funny that you bring her up because actually right before we got on this i started listening to a podcast that has they're doing a season about her and so i'm just on the first episode where she's 15 Mm -hmm. and it was like uh one day she didn't have her some she got a rip in her blouse and had to borrow a blouse from her she was in an orphanage yep. um, from somebody else and it was too small so showed you know showed off her figure and that day she's walking to school two and a half miles and she's kept being like is there what's going on cars honking everybody you know it's a burden really to have something so beautiful that people can't see your body be so beautiful that people can't see you as a person. And and yes, her body and her face. Like I just kept saying she's so, and I'm not even a Marilyn Monroe nut. Like I don't get into all that. You know, she's a beautiful white lady, you know, like I get it, but like I started watching this documentary and she was so beautiful that I and when I start I I started like to cry because I've never seen such beauty, and Miles was like, "What in the hell?" And I was like, "I don't know. I get it now. There is something magic about when she even when she became when she turned it on when whatever I don't know when she knew someone was looking whatever was going on it worked on me. I fell in love. I was like, "Oh, I, I would have thrown myself at her feet." Yeah, it's that thing that people always refer to as the it factor, you know, like, and maybe it's borderline personality disorder. That's the, that's the it factor. But I, it's, it's, the older I get, the more and more clear it is to me, who has it, who doesn't. I was watching the, I was looking at Instagram for the Met Gala. Oh, yeah. I always, I always like the costumes. and It's gorgeous. 
Yeah, and you know, uh, Kim Kardashian showed up in Marilyn Monroe's dr- dress. I'm thinking too about the documentary. And and wow, Kim Kardashian is basically flawless, and yet she she didn't have it for me either. There's something you are no Marilyn Monroe, and and it's not even about beauty, really. It's about some inner thing that goes that lights up. That um, you know, I'm trying to think of like in real life, have I been around that? And like for me, it's not even a female identifying person. It was Benjamin Bratt who had what I consider this light inside that made him you're fucking sistable. I was like, holy. Fuck, I'm in the presence of this is I could not explain it. And I was like, oh, and and um I'm trying to think of like female. No, I, I, I haven't really been in the presence presence. I've been in the presence of beautiful people, but that factor of like the whole inside lights up and then comes out, I I I can't tell you that was in one person. And and also it was the kindness mixed in there yes yes because i feel like you know there is there is this thing about kim kardashian from afar that doesn't exude kindness to me and i think whether it's fake or not no no you can't be fake like when there's a real kindness mixed with all it's just it the it factor for me is like a different it's not just being beautiful right it's like this and it's and it's kind of an argument for why you really can't turn everything into a program. I mean, basically she's figured out Kim Kardashian, a, an algorithm for her own success yes. and body. And and it's like on paper, it is perfection. And yet there's and something, yet, and, and yet, I think there's it's something like that, undeniably that's not there for her. It's like a spark in the eyeballs too. So when I look mm-hmm. at headshots of people, it's another, so, and photographers talk about this too, like the eyes, right? And you're like, it's just eyeballs, eyes being the window to the soul and all that. It's true. Like you can tell, you just know a good headshot. And I have a really good, like I have my clients send me their photos, right? The actor clients I have, like to, to when they're submitting to agents and stuff. And I'm like, I can tell, I'm like, no, no, you got the dead eyes going here. You, you like, got the look. dead eyes. Yeah. And yeah. Kim Kardashian had a little on the red carpet, even in that dress, even with a beautiful, funny man. But he has more of it to me than she does. Oh, he, I, he was more interesting to look at yeah. in those pictures. So it's she. interesting. It's interesting. So, Today on the show, we're talking to Jonathan Spector. Jonathan is a playwright based in Oakland, California. He's written quite a number of plays that are quite highly regarded, and one of which I the funniest play I've ever read in my entire life. You'll hear about that in our conversation. His plays have been produced all over the country, not to mention he's currently a core writer at the Playwright Center, a McDowell Fellow, a former resident playwright at Playwrights Foundation, and he is currently under commission from La Jolla Playhouse, Roundabout Theatre Company, and Manhattan Theatre Club. Wow, what a resume, what a guy, what a playwright, what a writer. Please enjoy our conversation with Jonathan Spector. Oh, called, so uh, you are a... called the Maze uh, by Rob Handel. Oh. Okay, so you're a real theater family. She's a director. Uh, yeah, and you're a playwright. Yeah, yeah. Okay, does she ever direct your stuff? No, uh, maybe one day, but I I feel like um, 
you know, if she was directing, especially if it was, if it was, I, I, I think if it was not the first production, it, um, it could work. Uh, and I, and I would like to, but I think, I, I think it's that I would I, lose the ability to then have her as the person that I can talk to about right. the process or, or have her totally. come in and give me notes on a, you know, things like that. Um, I would just get divorced. It wouldn't work. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it probably wouldn't work out. Actually, I did work on two plays with my husband, and you did before he was my yes before he was my husband. And at the time, I was like, I don't know how far this relationship <laughs> is going to go. Um, anyway, before I say my classic line, I have to just preface this to say, you. I asked you to be on a podcast. You told me you didn't go to theater school, mm -hmm. and then you said, "Well, actually, I kind of did." So Where? you went, you did an MFA, right? I did, but I, I, it wasn't theater school really. Cause it was a, a playwriting program that was housed inside a, a creative writing department at a, so it, it was, okay. it was pretty disconnected from, uh, from certainly from the theater program at that school and, uh, really from everything. <laughs> so we could say, well, yeah. we could say, congratulations, Jonathan Spector, you kind of, sort of, not really a little bit went to I'll, I'll take it i mean i always you know i always wished i had gone to theater school and I, I i think for a long time i mean although i mean listening to some episodes of your podcast maybe i'm now uh you know questioning that <laughs> maybe but you, uh you dodged a bullet, yeah maybe. because i i think i felt for a long time like certainly at, in my early 20s that there was just so much that i you know that i didn't know uh, if I'm okay, aware. I hear that, and from r reading about you, listening to Gina talk about your work, I feel like you did just fine without the theater school. I'm just gonna <laughs> just gonna tell you right now, like you're doing all right. You're you're doing all right, and uh, but yeah, no, I hear you. Like I, a lot of people, also, um, I find in the creative arts are like really uh, into the idea of a conservatory kind of setting where they could just get immersed with all the different parts of the theater, and and we did get that. I mean, we got a lot of other traumas. Wait, but we got Buzz, that. I just realized something. We are always say talking. Yeah, we all wanted to be all the way in, and then we're always talking about how it was too much about one thing, and we didn't we didn't get enough of a broad based education. So yeah, you you said where did you go, Jonathan? Uh, for undergrad, I, I went to a school called New College of Florida, uh, which is in Sarasota, which is a, a very small uh, liberal arts college that that you know has uh, it's very like progressive education. There's no grades, and there are required classes, and a lot of sort of one-on-one -on -one tutorials professors but it's, it's a public school um it had like was a private school that went bankrupt and then was taken over by the state so it's not um so it's a real uh i don't know i think a greater variety of socioeconomic backgrounds than you get at a typical you know when i was there 600 person uh liberal arts college um and i'm actually going uh next week uh it's right next door to the, the to oslo rep in Sarasota and uh, and they're producing uh, my play Eureka Day. So I'm going down next week to, to see the play and the, the, you know, the college has me coming to do a, you know, one of those sort of dreaded, like talks no, about like, no. making a career in theater. Um, no, this is this is a good thing. I always say, no, no, no. We needed people like you to come in and say actually what you were doing in the world as a playwright, as an artist, how you 
found your way. I wish I, maybe we had that and I just was like, fuck you. I'm not listening when like Brian Dennehy came and like probably hit on all of us. Anyway, the point is I did not, I I think it's good you're doing that. So like, do you, do you have like a set thing you're going to say to these students, these undergrad students or like, how are you, how's it going to go? I don't know. I, I, I've been thinking about it and I, I haven't, I haven't come up with much because I, um, I mean, beyond the, I think if, I guess it depends on, on, on what kind of thing people want to do. I think if they want to be actors, I don't really have much just useful advice for them. Um, I think if they want to work in theater, unfortunately, just having been at this a long time and seeing the careers of many people I know, like the, the route to that is largely through internships. Um, which are, you know, which are complicated, you know, uh, complicated things for all yes, sorts of reasons yes. that has been sort of much discussed, particularly in the past couple of years. Um, yeah. And then it's so tricky because I feel like giving advice is so, you know, as, as the sort of cliche is, is like advice is autobiography and it's all, you know, this is what I, this is what I did and it went well, or this is what I did and it didn't do well. So don't, you know, didn't work out. Don't do that. Um, and, and so trying to think about how to get, you know, get beyond that to, to say something that's actually useful, particularly for a 22-year-old a to hear, a 20-year-old. I, I wonder if we if we could go back in time and do sort of a poll, because actually at our theater school, the playwriting program didn't start until around the time we were at school there. So it, it's kind of the newest, one of the newer parts of the program. But if we go back in time and talk to a group of people who were applying for MFAs in playwriting then, and, and a group of people who are in school for it now, I wonder how similar or different their answers would be about why they chose to do it. Because I feel like now it's such an established thing that playwrights is what Hollywood is looking for, that I feel like maybe people are going into playwriting programs as a, as a nice way to get into writer's rooms. Do you, do you agree with that? Uh, I, maybe, maybe that's happening. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure that that's a that, that feels like a rather indirect route into a writer's room. Uh, I, I feel like if you want to go write for TV, you should go do things that are going to. I mean, it is certainly true that that so many playwrights, and I feel like most of my peers are 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 working in TV or writing in TV. So, it, 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 but it, you know, it, it's it's a sort of and some directly out of their MFA programs, but for the most part, you have to like first achieve some kind of success in theater, which is nearly impossible on its own, and then do the TV opportunities come. And so one, if you want to do that, just go do that, you know? Right. I think you kind of have to like, yeah. And there's something about, um, it does come through in the playwriting when people are straight up playwrights that want to create for the stage and, um, being in LA, it is true that I see a lot of, a lot of my, uh, television writing compadres are like, I should, but I should have just started in playwriting because I, I can't even. And then I'm like, you know, that's in a whole nother hellscape that you don't want us I, I it's there is no simple answer I think especially for kid, like people that are 22 and teaching I teach 22 year old BFAs and I'm like listen this is the like you said like I think the only thing is saying this is what works for me this is what didn't go forth good luck and here's my email but don't don't email me if you need me to bail you out of jail kind of a thing. Like, I, I just really think, anyway, I just wish I had had more 
maybe I wasn't open to it, exposure to people like you that were working in the field. Um, so when, okay, so that was your undergrad. And then tell mm-hmm. us about what happened after that. Right. And so my undergrad had no theater program. Um, there was no theater professor. There were, there were other, there were sort of like English professors who would like sponsor theater projects. Um, the, the, some of the people who taught in the MFA program at the Oslo would, would teach acting classes. Uh, and we could do a little, you know, I like assistant directed a play in that MFA program my senior year. Um, but it was really, to the degree there was theater, it was totally student run. Uh, mm-hmm. And there weren't that many students doing it because it was such a small college. Um, but uh, and at that time, I was not, I had always written sort of when I was younger and, and sort of through high school. And I, I sort of stopped at some point in college. There also really wasn't much of a creative writing program, maybe not a great fit for me in retrospect, even though I, <laughs> even, even though I loved, I loved being there and, and it had, has many great things uh, to speak for it as a school. Um, but I, I so I, ended, I, I realized I was not a good actor and that I liked, you know, but I liked being in, in process. And so I decided I should be a, a director. Um, and at that time, being a playwright wasn't even really something that I had any sense of. Nobody was producing new plays. I did, I, you know, all the plays that I was seeing on campus or that I was directing were 20, 30 years old. So I, I, it, it, the idea of, of, I don't know, it, it wasn't something that I really had thought about. And so I, I then went to New York after college. Can I just ask, yeah. how did you know you weren't a good actor? I wish somebody would have told oh. me this. How, how, not about you, obviously, but about me. How did you know? I don't know. I think you, I mean, I think it's, I think it's, I think I, you know, I wasn't terrible, but, but I think you can just tell that there are certain people who have, even, even at that time when you're sort of everyone's kind of untrained I mean in high school like you could you know you could just tell certain people yeah there something. were some people yeah um, yeah and also I don't know that I that I ever quite in, in, that I enjoyed being at the time my thinking was I enjoyed being in rehearsal much more than I enjoyed performing um and so that's why directing sort of made sense okay. to me um and then I did I didn't start writing for a very long time I, I went to New York and I had you know having no idea what I, what I was doing. Um, but I, uh, I ended up, there was a play that I had directed as my undergraduate thesis. This play attempts on her life by Martin Crimp, um, which is kind of this like seminal piece of nineties British theater. And, uh, and I saw a play a theater in New York was doing that play, the American premiere of that play. And I, it was just, so her rep, um, was the theater and I, I, I literally sort of walked in off the street and kind of <laughs> walked over the first person I saw at the theater who happened to be the artistic director who was like coming up the what? stairs in tech and was like, hi, I'd like to work at your oh team. My- and he was like, he was like, I'm in tech. Why don't you come back <laughs> another day? And, but then I, I did in, in that, I mean, you know, that theater is, is uh, I mean, has grown a lot since then. I mean, it was already a, a kind of nexus of exciting work, but it was not the institution quite in the same way it is now um, and was small enough that then I did end up getting to be an assistant director on that play. Um, Tell your students, tell the students that, (laughs) tell the students that seriously. We need more of that. Also, so I mean, it was only, yeah, it was only out of total ignorance of like how one does anything right. That you sort of, that you do that. But They're going to be ignorant too. They don't know. They don't know. Also, why are Soho rep seats so small for your ass? I went there and like, (laughs) 
those seats are it's a great theater but i was like oh my god we have gotten so fat or maybe just me okay proceed proceed um, okay so you you worked at yeah so, that I, so, I, so I, I i was an assistant director for that play and then and that sort of led to other things and and, and it was lucky in that you know certainly at that time and and still very much like soha rep was really this you know, there are a lot of just really exciting artists who are kind of in the orbit of that theater. And so I mostly assistant directed a lot of other things. I, 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 you know, got into, as a director, into the Soho Rep writer-director lab, um, which now is like this wildly competitive thing to get into. I think the year I, it was like the second year of it, and there were maybe like 20 directors who applied. So it was, you know, I, I certainly would not have been competitive, you know, now. Um, And that was also a really, impactful experience like the writers and it although and it i think it also weirdly if i had these nascent ideas that maybe i wanted to write it made me uh question that even more because i'm in this lab with you know i mean people who had not yet had success but writers like like ann washburn and adam bach and all the it's just like you know even then it's like oh my god these people are amazing and anyway, and to me at the time, I was like, well, I obviously can't do what they do. I don't know how they do it. You know, it's, um, and, and I, I think because I didn't quite understand, you know, the most basic thing about writing, which is that, you know, no, it, it always starts off bad and you always start off not knowing what you're doing. And, and, and that's sort of the, the process. Um, yeah. I'll just interrupt you for a second to brag that I was in um, a production of The Bach Eye when Adam Bach played the lead, and oh, he's at, a very at, good. A shotgun. A shotgun, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I yeah. live in. He's, I, uh, he's a very good actor. I live in in Oakland, and I used to live in Berkeley, just down the street from Shotgun for, for a while. Okay, yeah. cool. You, didn't you so? You know, did you start that Shotgun? Did you? I was with them at the at the very beginning. Yeah, oh, wow. yeah, yeah. When they're really nascent. Yeah. They, wait, where in Oakland do you live? I live. I'm on. Give Sh- your exact address because <laughs> I will go there. I'm on Shattuck, uh, between 55th and 56th. So okay. In, in North Oakland. I used to live. I used to live at 32nd and Adeline, and okay. then later we lived closer, which was terrible. And then we later we lived closer to Piedmont. But I love Oakland. Oakland remains my very favorite city in the whole wide world. Well, maybe Florence is better. My my <laughs> recollection of Oakland of going to visit you, just FYI, you had a house that had stairs. You had two floors, and uh, Gina's husband says to me, and this is the first time anyone, my mom used that besides my mom, who said, "I was going up the stairs." He goes, "Boss." don't just go up the stairs, bring something with you. There's all this stuff on the stairs that needs to go upstairs. And I was like, oh, 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 okay, okay. Anyway, I love Oakland too, but anyway. Okay, so I, I had to interrupt to give, you, to give you my little brag about, about Adam, but you were telling us about your MFA. So. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, so, that, so I was in New York for about, I think about four and a half years. And I, you know, did, did a, a, a bunch of assistant directing, um, worked on a bunch of the, the first couple shows with this company the civilians when they were just getting started and and so got was sort of exposed to a lot of really amazing artists but didn't aside from you know things that would sort of go up for two nights in in brooklyn didn't really do any of my own work or um and and sort of felt very 
I think lost at the time of just like, I, I, I both didn't, I think lacked the confidence to have my own like artistic sensibility, but, and, and also had absolutely no idea like how to go about this or, um, and I think had the, had the idea that I would, that I would go get an MFA and in, in directing and, and apply, oh. you know, or early on and, and didn't get in, uh, to a couple of schools I applied to, you know, I was probably shooting, shooting only at the top. Um, the and, Yales, the yeah, Yales of the yeah, world. Yale and UCSD. And, and part of that was that when I would look around and I would look in the, in the bios of shows that I would go see every play, you know, the director had an MFA from Yale or, or UCSD right. or, you know, they, and so my thinking was, well, that's obviously the only those must be the only ones worth doing, um, you know, which I think is sort of true and not true, I think, in a certain way. Um, so then I I did, one summer I did the Lincoln Center Director's Lab. Uh, well, wait, you mean did? You got to get in, correct? Oh, yes, yes, right. I applied. Yeah, so here's, I, here's, here's, um, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, I have to stop. Like, a lot of our guests, you included, are, like, super accomplished. This is across the board. This is not just about you. And bad at promoting and, themselves. Or just, like, they just, like, they totally bury the lead, which is, like, <laughs> you got into the Lincoln Center Director's Lab. Like, uh, I haven't done that. Uh, Gina I applied and didn't get in. So the, the deal is, good for you. And so when you were there, what did you realize? Did you see, realize you loved so I, I Well, I, I, the, the big thing that's happened is I, I met the woman who is now my wife, um, who is, who is from the, the Bay Area and, uh, and eventually followed her back here. I, you know, I, I was at such a, I was at, um, yeah, I was just at such, I was so ready for a change. I had, you know, I had had so many shitty jobs in my time in New York. Uh, and then I finally had a good job um, or a job I liked, which was um, being a dealer at an underground poker club. Um, yes, yes, I, television I, show, yes, uh, television show. Uh, so I did that for maybe a year and a half and it was like the first time, and so for that, the only period when I wasn't broke living in New York because the money was pretty good. But then, you know, unfortunately, you know, there was a dispute about the legality of the place and it did get sort of, uh, <laughs> did get raided and shut down by the cops and spent, you know, two nights in jail. Um, and so then oh, wait, was, what? Uh, are you, did you write about this? Did you write about I, this? I've never, I've never written about this. Um, well, I, well, we're going to write together. So yeah, I'll see you uh, after this thing. Yeah. And so then, and I didn't have, then I was like back to temping and I was like, Oh, this is so much worse than working at the poker club. Um, and so that was sort of the, you know, what, that's not why I moved to the West coast, but that was sort of the moment in time of, of where I was I actually got the club got raided. I think, I think like three days before the Lincoln center director, I was already, I, the timing was so bad. Cause I was about to like take three weeks off work to do the Lincoln center director's lab. Had they just waited um, a few more days, but it did, it did, it did give me like my, my all time best New York story. Um, oh, yes, tell it, which is I am in me. So they raided the club I worked at and the other large club in the city at the same simultaneously. So we're all Can we blame Giuliani? Can we blame Yeah, Giuliani absolutely. Or... 100%. Great. Fuck um, that guy. I mean, I mean Giuliani and also the other thing that happened there had been and poker was so popular at the time and there was a series of articles like in the New York Post and about, you know, underground poker clubs and celebrities playing at them and it just Yeah, it just got too public, I think, for the police to tolerate. Um 
so we're all in the tombs, which is the, you know, the jail under the courthouse in, in New York. And it's sort of all the people from our club and all the people from this other club. And, um, and I'm at some point, and we've been there, you know, they, for a long time at this point, uh, why it's a whole other story, why it took so long to get processed and get out. But um, I'm about to start the Lincoln Center Director's Lab. And so I, I as I'm, I'm sort of making this joke of like, oh, I hope I get out of jail in time to go to Lincoln Center. And this guy <laughs> in the cell across from us who, who worked at the other club was like, oh, are you doing the Lincoln Center Director's Lab? I did it last year. That's a great program. <laughs> oh, God. That, we got to put that in a television show. What are you, nuts? That's the best line I've ever heard. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Wait, in that moment, what did... What was your first reaction to the fact that your your cellmate had just done the dream oh. program that you were about to do? I don't know. I, I mean, I feel like that's the, that's, I mean, New York has a lot of challenges, but I feel like that's the wonderful thing about New York is that that kind of moment just seems totally like, a, yeah, of course, Dude, you know, it's, it's brilliant, brilliant. Oh. Um. Yes. Yeah, so then I, I, I got out of jail. I did the Lincoln Center Director's Lab. I, uh, and then I, oh yeah, God. and then uh, a few, yeah, some months later, I mean, it was sort of, we were sort of doing long distance. I, I eventually moved to the West Coast and, and my wife had a, 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 was a director. She had a, a theater company she just started and, and we sort of ran this theater Which company one? together. It's called Just Theater. Um, and it's, uh, and we were doing, you know, we were doing sort of new, newish, new, newish plays, like the kind, a lot of the plays, you know, sort of downtown New York plays that weren't yet being done in, you know, in the Bay Area as much. Yeah. Um, and then, and I, the other thing that I, I did that, that was very impactful was I, I started working at um, Playwrights Foundation. You know, the, the organization, the new play development organization that, that run the Barrier Thirds Festival. Um, and I was kind of like a, I don't know, like like associate producer or something that, on the festival the first summer. And then I, I became the literary manager. And I, I worked there for, I mean, sort of on and off. I left and, and sort of came back, but on and off for five years in, in various roles or sort of the associate artistic director at one point. But, um, you know, that was... I mean, in some ways, much more than than the actual grad school I went to. That was like a my uh, real education of just, you know, getting to getting to read hundreds and hundreds of plays a year. Oh my god! Um, and then also just uh, uh, you know, sort of observe and and support. Just, I mean, the the list of of like incredible you know writers who came through during during you know who are all early for the most part quite early in their career. But you know, the first year that I was literary manager, the and I, and I, you know, really have clear memories of like reading these plays, like came up in the stacks, people who'd never been produced at this point were like Annie Baker and mm-hmm. Sam, Sam Hunter were both people we did yeah. in that, in that first year that I was on it. And, uh, I mean, it's a key Alexander. It's like so many, you know, but, um, so that, but I was not writing during that time. Although I, I, I think the idea was somewhere in the back of my mind, although I, I I, again, was sort of too, in, on some level, like too intimidated. You're sort of working with all these just incredible right. writers, but but um, you know, learned a lot about about my own taste, um, about you know what excites me when I crack open a play and and I'm reading it. Um, but I, but I, and then I, and then at the last minute uh, that year, I also applied to this um, MFA, you know, playwriting program at, at San Francisco State. 
um, which is, uh, you know, which is sort of, because it was just, it's the only program in town. It's sort of a very low, I already, I knew that some of the people who taught there is very sort of low bar of entry. And, and it's also, it doesn't have to be a part-time program, but it's structured that it kind of can be, you know, I, I was is very it, not committed to this idea. Of, is it funded but, or is it, is it funded it's, or? It's is not it, funded, but it's extremely cheap. I mean, it, for at least when I was there, it was like a couple thousand dollars a semester, I want to say. Um, and, uh, but I was so, you know, I had not even written a full length play at that point. I think I applied with like two short plays. So I was, so, I was very not committed to the idea that I was going to do this. I think my thinking at the time was like, you know, and maybe somebody had given me this advice that like to, to make a career in theater, you want to have this like three-legged stool of being able to teach and being able to do the art and being able to, you know, do sort of administration. And I was like, well, now I know how to, I know how to work in a theater and I, you know, and I know how to direct. So I'll have this other thing and then I'll be able to like cobble together a life out of these, out of these three things, you know, was sort of my, I think was my thinking at the time. And, um, and then although the program was not, I mean, I, I, I really like some of the people who teach there, but it's a very, I mean, it's kind of the redheaded stepchild of the creative writing program at it, at it, and they don't really know what to do with it. And it's radically underfunded and, and um, they have trouble attracting good students. It's so expensive to live in San Francisco, you know, so who's going to cut all the, all the reasons. So it's, um, it was not a great program. Uh, but what it did do is give me kind of the time and space to write and, and to begin to think about myself as a writer. And, and, you know, part of it is you take some classes with other, you know, with the fiction writers or the, or the poets. And, and so being around these other people who, who really conceive of themselves as writers, um, was just a, yeah, a, was something different and, and uh, yeah, useful. And then, but by the time I, I think while I was in school, I had started to at least have like the very, you know, small beginnings of, of, you know, positive response to the writing. And so I think by, by the time I had finished, I was, I was still running the theater company. I wasn't directing anymore, but it was, was still doing that. And, um, uh, but, it, but writing was kind of increasingly, you know, where my attention was going. Tell us about the first time uh, your work was produced and what that experience was like for you. Um, well, the first, I mean, the first full production of a play was, yeah. was with my, my theater company. Um, oh. and so that was a, I mean, it was great in a certain sense, but it was also not great because it was, you know, I, I was pulled in so many. All on you. Yeah, I was pulled in so many different directions, and and I was not directing. But you know, it's a very weird position to be in to be the playwright and the artistic director. I can't. And then no, have a director no. because the the dynamic, the sort of power dynamic. It, it's, I mean, I I was pleased with a lot about the show. I was. I I, I think I didn't get to do some of the work. That, that as much of the work that I needed to do as the writer on, on the show because I was doing so many other things. Right. Um, mm -hmm. But it was still, you know, it was a great experience and, and having a, I mean, actually seeing your work in front of an audience, you know, teach, teach what was that so like? like actually working yeah. in, I mean, and, 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 and also the level of, um, I think before you have been produced, it's easy to, well, you sort of write things and you, and you maybe don't know exactly, you know, 
I mean, certainly in the process, you don't know why you're doing what you're doing. And that's great. But even as you as you get it to a place where you feel like you're ready to share with people and there's stuff in there, where you're like, oh, yeah, I just I don't know where that comes from or what it's there for. But then when you're in a process with people and you have an actor saying to you, well, well, what's happening in this moment? And if, and you don't have it and not to have an answer or, you know, um, yeah. I, I think, you know, I think that shifts how you, you know, how you think about the work, even if it's not, at least for me, was not was not conscious, but certainly I think my, you know, the, the I mean, I guess I wrote a couple of other plays, but the next play that was produced after that was, I, I think, had a different level of, you know, rigor in, in the writing. And what was that like? Was that an opportunity for you to workshop and not have to do a bunch of the other? Yeah, so that was the next play. I mean, I had plays in between that had had sort of readings and workshops. But the next play to be produced was, um, and it was this play Eureka Day that that sort of been oh, my most God. successful. Nina said is the funniest uh, play she's ever. That and Nikki Silver's um, Raised in Captivity was absolutely <laughs> the two funniest plays I've ever read in my entire life. Oh, I mean, I was peeing myself reading Eureka Day and we my theater company tried to produce it. I remember. We, yeah, you were Yes. Yeah, no, no, it was just I think it's I think you I think you you just missed the window because there because it was right yeah. It, it, yeah, it ended up I mean, well, we can get to that, but um Well, yeah. I want to know just because people who don't know the play, it, it surrounds it takes place in the Bay Area and it's about this idea of both right wing and left wing uh, people being anti-vax, which is just such a weird phenomenon um, in a in a school setting. Did was this inspired by your own experience? Did did you have a child in a? I, so I didn't. I think when I first started writing the play, either my, my daughter who had just been born or was a my wife was pregnant. I did, so I did not yet have the experience of a child in in a school. I did have the experience though of. You know, having conversations with people in the Bay Area who are very smart and well-educated, and like we have the same politics, and and then realizing that they don't vaccinate their kids, and and sort of that like floor dropping out from under you moment of like, oh, I live in a different reality than this person does, in this one very specific way. Um, so that that was kind of the the spark, and then you know it went. To, Honestly, I am so glad. I'm I. I'm really glad that we left the Bay Area before we had kids because that would have sent me over the edge. And you're right. It's you're you're going like, what's missing here? This person's educated and they, you know, they seem to understand literally every other economic and social concept that's within this ideology. And yet you're just like, <laughs> it's so it's truly bizarre. It, it, it's frankly bizarre and that was even before this covid vaccination yeah yeah so it, it that premiered in 2018 uh, oh my gosh yeah, i mean so it's, it's unbelievable uh, i i can't wait to i haven't read it and i can't wait to because i think you know gina has an immaculate amazing sense of humor and she says it's the funniest play she's ever read i'm like on it today i'm reading it just uh, and maybe it's especially funny because I knowing about and it's amazing that you wrote this without being a parent of a school aged child because it, it I mean it, it just so it's just so plausible. So that place had a bunch of productions, right? It has. So it had um yeah, so it, it premiered in Berkeley, uh and then about a year later it was done. It had a small production in New York, um, but that was it, 
in a in a production in DC in Philadelphia. The um, yeah, it's had maybe six or seven. That's six, amazing. Know, seven. It, yeah, I mean, there were there, of course like the pandemic. Like it had this production in New York in, in the fall of 2019, and it was really, you know, it was kind of that like fairy tale, you know, version of how that goes, where you know it was a, it was a really you know, it was a small theater, but it got, you know, the, the critics picked from Ben Brantley and it got, you know, all the, all these reviews, all these people came to see it. Um, there was a lot of, uh, excitement about the play and, and, and then the pandemic hit. Um, <laughs> so that kind of got in the way a little bit, although, although, you know, I feel very lucky of the timing that it happened before the pandemic. Um, yes. and, and I, you know, uh, um, so have have been i mean bef since before covid have been working with uh, this really wonderful commercial producer who's who's um been trying to get it up in 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 london or or new york and and it, um so what in terms of the pandemic and writing i mean i've heard people say i've i've heard the gamut of like oh it really allowed me to stop doing all this other stuff and sit down and write and then i've heard you know, kind of more like what I experienced, which is it's so consuming to, to just be dealing with it and the pandemic and also then, you know, what was happening politically. Where did you fall? Did it, did it, was it very inspirational time for you to write? <laughs> I mean, I, th I, I feel like I, you know, the first, let's say three months, I just like did nothing. And part of it is like, you know, I have a daughter who is she was in preschool then and she's in kindergarten now. And so she was home from school. And my, my wife is a, is a high school drama teacher. So she's oh, like teaching shit, drama I'm on Zoom. Zoom. And so I'm like with my daughter and it's just, you know, it's just awful. Um, and I, I, so I could do, you know, I, I couldn't do anything. And I, um, I, and I, I think I, yeah, there are um, a couple of these like new play development programs that I had gotten into um but you know before COVID and then they they went virtual you know during COVID so I did I had these like virtual workshops in kind of like summer of 2020 so that was sort of having that external deadline and and expectation kind of got me going a, a little bit um but it was a real it was a real struggle and I mean I think part of what I love about being a playwright is the you know, I think I am this kind of like introvert, extrovert. And so I like the toggle between, you know, getting to have these really intense experiences of making a play with other people and then getting to have, you know, long periods of time by myself. Yeah. Uh, and so the, you know, with the pandemic, you, you never got the, the first part. You know, it was just sustained time alone. Um, it, it was this weird, like, right, like, sustain, sustain time alone, except with people you were trapped with, right? So it was like a lot of aloneness from the people I really wanted to be with a lot, and some of the too muchness of the people that I love but don't want to be with that much. It was the weirdest feeling. I was like, oh my God, oh my God, I'm now, this is my life. I'm just you and me. It's you and me, and we're going to do this for the rest of our, oh my God. And then, 
right. missing people I didn't think I'd miss. I was like, this this asshole, yeah. you know, I used to see every day on the bus or whatever. I'm like, where's that guy? I miss that guy. Yeah. I want to hang out with him. What the fuck? So like, oh, I didn't write either. I we did our podcast. Did we start our podcast? I think we started the podcast. Right? Yeah, we started the like podcast. We wrote during it a little bit. Yeah. But, I, but also the thing that you didn't get to do was take in experiences that inform right. new directions in writing, which is like a yeah. huge thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, I did a bunch of, you know, Zoom writers groups, which was, you know, like great at the beginning. And then, you know, at a certain point, you just can't do it anymore. They they all peter out. Um, By the end, you're and, like, your writing sucks. Oh, I'm not on mute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah, so I... I don't know. I, I, it's hard that, of course, like with every, as with everybody, you, you know, your sensibility to kind of keep a chronology of the pandemic is impossible. I, right. you know, I started, I like wrote a pilot, you know, during, oh. I, I think I started, you know, I started working with my manager, my like TV film manager sometime early in the pandemic and was, you know, so I was working on that. And, and, um, I, what's your pilot about? What's your pilot about? The pilot is about a. Um, it's set in o- in Oakland, and it's about a, a tech startup um, run by vampires, but but like okay. sort of um, altruistic yes. vampires. Like like they think they're making the world a better place, sure. and they have this app that's going to connect um, you know vampires with with um, homeless people that they can feed on in exchange oh, for providing them. Oh my god, Jonathan! You know, uh, Tell me you sold it. Did you sell with, it? No, no, haven't have not uh, have not found a home for it yet. But um, you know, but they in that in that oh. like tech CEO way, like they believe they're like you know solving sure. a problem the government can't solve with the free market, sure. and they're like yes. really yes, they're making the world a better place. Um, yes. Yeah, like about Elon Musk. I mean, that, honestly, like I had this thought the other day. Oh, I think the reason that Elon Musk thinks he's so great is because you know p- part of the experience, and you know acknowledging that you've probably had this experience too. Part of the experience of being a white straight male is like really people are not pushing against your beliefs that much. (laughs) You know, people are not challenging you to develop empathy for anybody besides your own little group. And, and okay. So, so what, what happens in the, can you tell us anything about what happens in the pilot? Sure. I mean, the pilot is just, it's a pilot. So it's like, you know, our, our sort of, you know, lead character who's a, who's not a vampire, who's like a a young woman who's working at this, uh, you know, nonprofit support, you know, uh, housing and secure people, but gets burned out because the non, you know, the pay is terrible and and ends up kind of getting, you know, convinced to go work at this startup. And, and so it's a lot about like, you know, the, the way we, you know, justify our behavior to herself. And so it's like her convincing herself that like, well, she's going to do just as much good here, you know, at this other place, even though, because the, you know, they, they give you free lunch and, and sure. Hey, it's so nice. Um, yeah. And then the other, the other thing in the pandemic is I had been, the play I had been writing before the pandemic was a play about, um, about a theater company hiring a new artistic director after their previous one had been forced out. Um, and once the pandemic hit, I was like, oh, I just can't write a play, yeah. like making fun of boards of directors, like at this moment when there's no theater. Yeah. Um, and I had, I had done like, um, I don't know, maybe 20 interviews with artistic directors about oh, like their shit. experience, like going through these hiring processes and, and working with search firms and, and all of that. Um, 
and then I finally went back and finished. I think I got, I, I got very, there are a bunch of reasons why I felt like I couldn't write it uh, or couldn't finish it, but I, I, I finally went back and I don't know when that was, maybe like last summer and, and, and finished it. Um, you need to find a way to pitch your pilot, by the way, to, um, what's the guy who wrote, who did The Good Place? I don't remember. Oh. I don't know. I should know who that is. From he was from Parks and Rec. Yeah, he did all. Oh that. my god! I'm just Michael Shore. Totally. Michael Michael Sh- Mike Shore. Yeah. yeah, you need to find a way to, to pitch that directly to him because that is totally up. Or like it alley, also reminds me of like um what we do in the shadows kind of. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. Like that that genre of like oh I love it I love it. Yeah, you got to find a way to make that happen. Yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, so what so where you're it's not that we're out of the woods with the pandemic but we're we're sort of on the other side of it what like what where's your focus going right now what are you into uh so i have it's a little bit split i have uh but i feel i was just thinking the day like i feel good because i feel like i know what i'm working on for the next for the rest of the year basically which feels really good because i often have these periods like ah what what do i do what am i doing um and and the answer to that is usually nothing when i when i'm like what do i do um avoid avoid work avoid working Um, true crime true crime you watch true crime like me (laughs) (laughs) uh so i i have a new play that that is premiering at the aurora in in berkeley uh in september um, that was supposed to, it was supposed to go up in February, but we were start, supposed to start rehearsal right after New Year's. And that was kind of when the Omicron wave was yes. spiking, you know, so, so they decided to push it. Um, so that's great. Cause that's a play that I been working on for, for kind of a long time and, you know, had a bunch of zoom workshops, which is, you know, is, is, is okay and useful to a point. And then is, I just had a, in-person workshop uh, a couple weeks ago and it was like in in new york and and it's like oh my god actually like having humans in the room it's a whole different thing uh like we convinced ourselves that these zoom workshops were okay but they're they're really not okay um i mean they're 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 great for us you know they're better than nothing but they're not this no but they're missing this Uh, ineffable thing that actually boz and i were talking about before we started talking to you which is this this x factor that we never seem to be able to to quantify but we yet we really know it when we see it or when we feel it that's why you know they did a study about um experiences real and virtual and the the example that i remember is the sound of a waterfall doesn't capture the experience of being next to a waterfall, even if you can't see the waterfall, that the ions are different around mm. the waterfall, such that, it, which, it, uh, which is obviously an experience you can't repeat, like with the sound machine. And, and, and either I extrapolated that to the theater or it was done in the study too, even though I'm a big proponent of digital theater, because I, I really am about accessibility we can't lie and say it's the same thing. No, I mean, even, you know, like when I did this, this workshop and, and we were doing our just, you know, first read through around the table. And I think that the woman reading stage directions had not read the play. And so even having oh, that, like, shoot. no, no, it was great. Cause even having that one, like a, an audience member of one to react yes. to things, you know, oh. it was like so amazing. Cause I, I hadn't had that for two years as I was working yes. on the play. Um, 
so it did so that'll go up in in september i'm uh and then i uh i mean i'm i'm waiting to hear uh, sort of at any moment i i i i'm i'm very optimistic that that uh that eureka day is also going to have a big okay production. what's your dream what's I your can't. dream where's your dream to where is your dream to have it be you can you can uh, not tell if you can tell us I mean, I think I can tell you off the air, like off the record. I, I don't know when this is going to be released. Oh. I mean, I, I don't, but, but we. Next Tuesday. Oh yeah. So, so I think, I, think I probably can't say anything, but I, I, there is, yeah. Okay. So we have a, there's like a really, um, just like, I can't believe this is real, you know, Ooh. actor who, who, who we're in conversation with and then, um, and, you know, and, and as I had this really amazing producer. So, so it, it you know, I think there's a, like constellation of like where will it be and when will it be, but it right. the, the 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 way it's coming together is is yeah it's kind of uh, it's very surreal. When you graduated, day that you get your MFA, walking out the door like ready for your next thing, did you have the thought? I mean, how did what you imagined was going to happen next match up with what did? Uh, I mean, I think I had, I think I had very low expectations of what an MFA from San Francisco State would, would provide you. So yeah, I, I, I think those were met. Um, you know, there are, there are. Uh, um, I had you know, a sandwich. I, mean, I went to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, uh, I mean, there have been several, you know, graduates of that program who, who, who have gone on to, to do well in, in, uh, in playwriting, but it is, you know, it, it isn't, I, for whatever reason, it is not a, despite being a MFA program, it is not a program that orients you towards the professional world in any way. Like there was no talk about how you do this about submitting about right. about working in in theater it was really i think because of the way it was couched in this mfa you know fiction and poetry program i think i, I mean i don't i don't really know but that's my sense of how those right you know as much more of those programs work is just focused on like the writing workshops and um mm -hmm. so i think didn't... that your mfa I made you a better writer though, a play, better playwright. Like, did you learn the act of playwriting or like, what did you learn there? <laughs> I guess is what I'm saying. No, I, I think I learned some things about how to, how to teach. Cause I, I, oh. I do think there are some good teachers. Um, I, I don't know that I can point to, uh, and I feel like there were a couple of things I learned, but, but I guess, you know, I, I would compare it to sort of the other experiences that I would consider formative, like like working at the Barry Players at Festival, theaters, or yeah. or even just like being in New York and and sort of absorbing right. this right. I, I would I think I would rank it like quite low in terms of you know the things sure. it, it, what what I learned from it compared to these other things that I. So did. okay, so um, your play um, Eureka Day, right, is mm -hmm. is cons is a good play. And how did you become a good playwright? I guess that's my question. Like, did, just by writing, by how did you learn since SF State didn't do it and your undergrad was more sort of what I would call, like, I know the school, I kind of went to a grad school like that, a little loosey-goosey, experientially based. How did you learn mm -hmm. how to be a good playwright? I don't get it. I mean, I think you, I mean, I, I mean, to the degree that I'm a good playwright, I don't, I don't know, but I, I think, I think it's like what everybody, I mean, I think I had always had some inclination towards writing and it was always a thing that I felt like I could do pretty well. And, 
from when I was younger. And then, I don't know, I think I, you know, you, you, I read a lot of plays and, and, yeah. you know, and, and, and the great thing about directing and really, I think what drew me to directing was you get to be really intimate with another writer's work when you're directing a play and, and think really deeply about how it's constructed. Um, right. And then just, so that's and probably just, it. Like, and then they just do I forgot you read like, you read like you know? Yeah, and you read yeah, a shit yeah. ton of plays and you hundreds of plays. Yeah. And so yes. I think that is a key here is if, and I'm just saying like, you know, to the youngsters, because a lot of my students listen to the podcast now, like read a lot of plays and television scripts. And if you, as an, as an artist, just read your ass off. Because I, I right. yes, I, that, that that's one of oh sorry one second I, that that's one of three pieces of advice I've read recently on Twitter that I think needs to be boosted. Read plays. Why would why would you apply to an MFA program in playwriting if you never read plays? Um, don't submit your first draft to things. Definitely, I mean, definitely, like it's not not that you have to have as many drafts as Michaela Cole did, but you should have some some drafts under your belt with other other people's um, input and continue to see play or start or continue to see plays right well some people are afraid of that because they say i don't want to be too influenced but i'm like oh dude okay i, I mean everybody's <laughs> everybody's influenced by everything i mean you want yeah. you want influences influences are good you know you you yeah. want to be you know drawing on as many things as you can and of, of as wide a variety of, of things as you can I, yeah. yeah, I think I, I, I would say everyone want to be playwrights if you can find a way to, at least for a year, you know, work in a literary office at, at ah. a theater where you're, you know, because then you're then you're really reading a lot of plays and and evaluating them. And, and it can be tricky because it can then be hard to turn off that that kind of critical lens that you and I certainly struggled with that for a long time when I was starting out of thinking as I'm writing, like, well, how would I, you know, look at this if I am, if I was sort of receiving it, you know, and, and reading mm -hmm. it and, and, you know, you need to be able to shut, shut that part of your brain down to be able to do yeah. the creative work, but then you need to be able to turn it back on when you're, you know, when you're doing the next draft and, and trying to figure out what's working and what's not. And Yeah. And that's something that just, comes in some ways from volume, volume of, you know, volume from how many plays you're reading, volume from how much you're writing every day. Like, you know, I think that's something that people get, I'll say, I'm, I get stuck in, like, I let, and I, I let uh, perfect be the enemy of good. And I have this idea that like, I can't start writing something until I, it feels like the idea is already perfect <laughs> in my mind, which is, leads to a lot of um, unfinished plays. So we're, we're going to have to wrap up, but tell people where they can find you. Yes. Um, I am on Twitter, although I'm desperately trying to get off. Uh, I think I'm, what, what is my Twitter? I can't remember what well, my- Well, you have a website that I like. And I have, so... I have a website, which is- uh, uh, Spectre. Spectre. Jo uh, what is my website? Hold on. Uh, well, that I can't help you with. Oh, it's, it's Jonathan Spec Jonathan Spectre dot org. Jonathan Got it. That is a great. I, I like your website. Okay. Yeah. Oh, thank you. And then um, Twitter. What's your Twitter handle? Twitter. Come on. I think it's. I think it's just at Spectre His John. His Twitter handle is at Elon Musk and. Uh, no, <laughs> it's right. Spectre no, John. Spectre John. At Spectre.
if you liked what you heard today, please give us a positive five-star review and subscribe and tell your friends. I Survived Theater School is an Undeniable Inc. production. Jen Bosworth Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. For more information about this podcast or other goings-on of Undeniable Inc., please visit our website at undeniablewriters.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you.